Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Ben Serple, the performance coach at the Geelong Football Club. His key topic of discussion will be building stress resilience in AFL athletes. Ben has an extensive experience working with elite environments across Europe and Australia. Ben has demonstrated success collaborating with a range of high-performing teams and individuals in pro and Olympic sports. Highlights from this episode, why you need mentors to develop you technically, as well as sponsors to advocate for you in new roles, how to capitalize when an athlete is in rehabilitation from a physical preparation point of view, understanding your environment and the effectiveness of primer sessions to boost testosterone and energy, recovery tips to help athletes mentally and physically recover after a football match, and the importance of developing key running skills. Ben discusses the big three rocks for running development with four pro sport athletes. Before we start this episode, I have a unique offer at 10 freebie tickets to our next Get Better Plan live coaching call. To claim your ticket, make sure to direct message me on our socials or email me at jackatthepelicpro.com. First in best dressed. Let's get into today's episode with Ben. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, going well. Going well. Looking That's good. forward That's to good. A, to our chat. This is a, a good time of year for us, S&C, so no doubt we'll get some good listeners tuning in in, in their downtime. Oh, yeah, I hope <laughs> Yeah, there was a few tuned in onto LinkedIn, which is which is a good sign. But yeah, Excellent. take us back to the very beginning, mate. What age did you <laughs> discover you had a passion for strength conditioning and, and working with elite athletes? Mate, I don't know if there's a certain age, which I worked it out. Certainly, I've always been interested in sport. I was probably a very amateur cyclist to start with. And yeah, I felt as though that's the career I wanted to go in. I actually did an undergraduate in occupational therapy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Found that quite boring. Like philosophically, it did a lot of it resonate with me, but... Yeah, it wasn't really my cup of tea and just complete a lot of sports science subjects and end up getting an honours in both OT and also human movement and just working down that route of working in sport. I finished OT, to be honest, and I went to the UK to to have a bit of a working holiday and work in a few pubs. But uh, as you you pointed out, I've worked at Gloucester Rugby. I kind of just fell into a job over there and the rest is history. A couple of years over there, bit of AFL, a bit more rugby back into AFL. So, yeah, probably... Somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago now, so yeah. it was a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and no, some great experiences. Yeah. What, what, what grabbed you? And you mentioned occupational therapy didn't quite, you know, it was a bit boring, but what grabbed you about elite sport when you, when you moved <laughs> over to Europe? Yeah, look, everyone's, everyone's dream, if they're interested in the sporting industry, is to work at the, the top end. I certainly thought that I was never going to just be a personal trainer at a gym. I'm not saying that's not a rewarding career, but... I guess uh, like a lot of people who are listening to this to this podcast have been through a uni and spent a lot of money. So I thought, mm. well, if I'm gonna gonna do this, then I'm gonna do it properly and and, and go to top end. So now having said that, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who've spent the early part of their career probably paying to work almost. Yep. But after a while, it's it's been quite rewarding and just going beyond like the remuneration. And so on that we get to work with some pretty special people, not just athletes and. And that's what they are. They're, they're people. And a lot of them have got really good stories to tell. And it's good to get to know them. And I guess it's the, the closest thing I'm going to get paid to ball on the field. So stick at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
And it's a good segue, mate. Good, good people, good practitioners. So who are some some people that have strongly influenced your career to date? Yeah, I actually feel pa- passionate about this this question. I think I've done a bit of work in this space. I think what we need as practitioners is both mentors and sponsors, and and I distinguish the two quite significantly. So our mentors can be those that you know support our development and so on, whereas sponsors are people that genuinely advocate for us in new roles. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we need practitioners is is people to mentor and sponsor us both from a technical perspective but also from a philosophical perspective. Now, often our mentors and our sponsors can be the same kind of person. Often they're very different. But out of that, what I see, I've, I've had a number of really good influences. Dean Benson comes to mind very quickly. He's, he's been very instrumental in my career. Certainly a lot of my network now comes from, was established from, from when I was working with him. And that's generate more opportunities down the track. But yeah, as I said, from a technical perspective and, and a sponsorship perspective as well, Dean's been great. John Pryor, Franz Bosch has been has been awesome from a mentorship perspective and in terms of my development as well. And then from a coaching and philosophical perspective, Darlene Harrison, who was former deputy director at the AIS, sorry, former deputy director at the AIS, mm-hmm. and uh, a guy by the name of Professor Christian Cook, who has a long-standing history working across Olympic sports, the All Blacks. He and I still collaborate on a lot of research and, yeah, very influential, as I said, in terms of teaching me how to manage my emotions, coaching people, and just challenging me intellectually as well. Yeah, it's interesting way that you break it down, the mentors and sponsorship. Like, do you think, is it almost a progression that they start, someone starts as a mentor and then if it develops, it starts to build as an advocate of someone who, you know, like you said, can almost promote you to other jobs or, or hook you up with other networks or is it, are they sort of mutually? Yeah, look, I've never thought about it that way, but I would have thought, yeah, that, or would, most would start as a mentor, right, until this helps develop to a point where they can actually say, well, they're ready to, ready to take on more senior roles and they can become a sponsor. Right. Uh, what I will say, though, there's a lot of people out there that can be sponsors without having developed you technically. So, for instance, I've worked with uh, Stephen Larkin in rugby. Um, doesn't know much about S&C, but at the same time, uh, very accomplished head coach, and, and he's done well in terms of advocating for me in new roles across time. So... Gotcha. Building relationships and, and, and doing a good job can sometimes be enough that people learn to trust you and, and can advocate for you, not just in jobs, but taking on responsibilities around different clubs and who you, you are best to work with and so on. And yeah, you mentioned you've, yeah, and also in your, in your introduction, I mentioned the different experiences and different sports from individual mm. to, to team sports. Was that deliberate early on when you, when early on your career, when you were studying, did you think I want to expand like at that time when you're thinking is Olympic sports being a cyclist or, or and how did team sports come yeah. about or or is it deliberate to try and stretch yourself and explore different options? Yeah, look, it was definitely deliberate because there's not many jobs in cycling in Australia, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, strangely enough, I ended up doing a bit of consulting work with them last year. Look, definitely the biggest employees in Australia are the football codes. There's no doubt about that. And if you want to work in sport, it's good to go down that route. Having said that, there is a lot to learn from the Olympic sports, certainly, and we can get into this down the track. Uh, we can take a lot from track and field in the football codes, not just sprinting, but also in, AF, in AFL, for instance. It's good to look at what the middle and long-distance runners are doing. We get a lot of shoulders these days, a lot of shoulder injuries. What are the javelin throwers doing and those type of things? We can take that from, from the Olympic sports and also that can cross into to the cricket codes and oh, into cricket and so on and, and also – what a rugby doing? Can we bring that into AFL and vice versa? So to start with, it was really just where are the opportunities going to be? 
But mm-hmm. as I've grown throughout my career, it's become pretty important or pretty evident that we need to be exploring beyond our own environment to see what others are doing and cross-collaborate a bit. Mm. And, yeah, from seeing different environments, how different is it when you're physically preparing a rugby athlete during the preseason for green season compared to an AFL athlete? Yeah, very different. So, for, you know, there's no doubt about it and it's pretty obvious to many people in AFL or players in AFL will just thrive on their running, whereas rugby is the opposite way around in terms of strength training. They love their, their strengths. You know, certainly we don't see as much of a drop-off in season for strength training in rugby. In fact, we're usually peaking towards the end of the season in terms of maximum strength and power, whereas it's not necessarily the case here in AFL. Having said that, I'll hand on heart, saw a few guys get some PBs for vertical jumps and so on coming into our finals campaign. So we got it. Just uh, it wasn't as obvious in, in AFL. Certainly in, in rugby, it's harder to keep the, the conditioning up to guys in season. So it's just kind of almost a bit of a, an opposite of way of doing things, but we can apply similar philosophies across both codes. Yeah. The big thing for me is where rugby is getting to and they're getting better at is that they tend to realize that we can't just develop our athletes in the preseason because rugby doesn't get preseasons. And that's the way AFL is going. Right? Like you've got a 20-plus week season. You've got to, you're kidding yourself if, if everything you gain is in the preseason. You've got to look at all the small opportunities in season to, to continue physical development of our players. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And what would be an example of how you sort of get sneak those opportunities in? Is it bye weeks, eight-day turnarounds? Like talk us through sort of, I guess, how you periodize that for an AFL in season. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, it's not just – it's a collaborative approach across the whole medical fitness department and, and pushing and pulling who needs what, where, and, and also how healthy your list is. Sometimes you don't get that opportunity if, you, if your list isn't healthy, if you just got to keep rolling guys off across the season mm-hmm. and protecting them a little bit. So, yeah, you, you picked it, like eight-day turnarounds, bye weeks. You know, One thing I think that we, we can get better at as a profession, full stop, is looking at the opportunity of rehab and if someone's out for four to six weeks, what can we gain in that period of time? And there's actually a fair bit, but that's an opportunity to get some great physical development, which, you know, might end up being a, a mini preseason as they, in the middle of the year, which many would, many would love to be honest. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And mm. there's like, it seems to be rugby strength conditioning coaches, athlete coaches, whatever you want to term them as, mm. it's quite popular these days at, in AFL clubs. But, and then you start, I, I've, I've certainly started to hear things of like, oh, looking at when can we lift before a field session where, you know, a few years ago, that was just not even a discussion. Uh, so wh- where do you think those conversations start with you, with your team from, from a staff point of view? But also why do you think there is a bit of theory in change with, yeah. you know, doing lifting before running in football? Yeah, look, I've only been at Cats for a year and there's been a big been a big collaborative approach between medical and fitness. So I can't really comment why if there's been a shift or, or so on in, in AFL. Certainly that's a different philosophy from when I was at Port Adelaide a number of years ago. I can tell you the science behind it, the purpose behind lifting in terms of a neurological and a, and a hormonal spike so that we are getting boosting testosterone, which will help us to to perform on field and, and enhance our learning experience on field. So there is a lot to gain by lifting prior to training. There is a bit of a cultural shift still required in, in AFL to allow that or facilitate that properly. But for instance, at both Brumbies, at Waratahs, Wallabies, even on game day, we're having a lift prior to game because there are so many benefits behind 
doing that from, a, as I said, from a neurological and physiological perspective. And look, we trialed it a few times in, in training this year and, and, and guys tended to just warm up quicker. Just And it's not just from a physical perspective, it's also from a mental alertness perspective. So often I find our warm-ups take a long time. If we can speed that up and, and really focus on guys learning as quick as possible on field, then you can get a lot more efficient with your training mm. and probably train at a higher intensity too. Yeah, so it's not just the gym guy trying to train them fresh there's actually it's ha- enhancing the field session like the yeah, football coach should right. be happy with it as well 100 percent, and and that's one of the things that you can work with coaches around that you know when is the key what's the key learning drill can you put that in the front we can deliver them in a good position to learn the most beyond that now at some time you, you want them to execute skill under fatigue as well they said to build resilience but for key learning periods that's that's an, a really effective tool to enhance that learning experience yeah, last couple of questions going back to your career and then we'll, we'll get into the key topic. But um, yeah, sure. over your career, highlights, mate? What are some highlights that pop up front of mind that you look back on fondly? Yeah. Oh, obviously, the grand finals, the big win. There's no doubt about it. I think we've got to remember as well that some of the, the wins come from elsewhere. I remember one of, my, one of the athletes I worked with seeing him come back and play after you know, probably 15-month hiatus. He, he was diagnosed with leukemia, so going through that journey with him and seeing him come back and play, not just in terms of it's a great opportunity to play, but what it meant to him and his family and his community, that was very special to me. And that's when I say go back before, and I say we actually work with people, and I wouldn't have got that opportunity to do that with him alongside him and his family if I was in a position. That was a terrible thing to happen. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but I can proudly say that I've witnessed something very special. Yeah. I mean, credit to, credit to Christian Lee Farner for doing that. And similar things, in, for instance, David Pocock sinking come back from successive ACLs. That was amazing. So, yeah, there's been a few highlights. And look, other little things, completing my PhD while working full-time, those those things. So I think it's very easy to get sucked into, oh, I've just got to win this final or got to win that game, and that's going to be a huge highlight. There's other little wins along the way which which get you to that point in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And what about on the flip side, mate, challenges over your career and what have you learned from mm. some of your biggest challenges? Yeah, look, and we all know this as we get older, so to speak, but I'm not sitting here in some ancient guy, but certainly one of the biggest challenges we all face working in professional sport is getting good work-life balance. Very easy to neglect, neglect families and probably the biggest challenge I had and was that, like getting balance with my family life at some point. Perfect example was pre-COVID. I was in Argentina for a game, literally landed, got a text message from my wife to say my son, his appendix ruptured, I had to get back home. Still took me five days to get home to see that. And I just think that they're the kind of things you want to be around for. And, and look, someone's got to go on tour with the team, but you don't want that kind of thing happening a lot. So mm. whilst this is a great job, we all love it, and as I said, it's going to be the closest thing to, to kicking the footy on the field as we help guys warm up. We've got to understand that we're not curing cancer, right? So understanding that, that yeah, we, we do need work-life balance, and that's probably the biggest challenge a lot of us have because when you don't win grand finals and you're working for a losing team, mm-hmm. it is very hard to stay motivated. So getting that balance is super important. Hey there. Hope you're enjoying this episode with Ben Serple. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet from our interview with Gary McCoy. Who are some other strong influences that have helped shape your career, like mentors? Oh, man, definitely influence. I'll, I'll give you some names off the top of my head. So Dr. Marcus Elliott, who runs a, a lab out of Santa Barbara called P3. Marcus was kind of shunned out of baseball. When I met him, he was the only scientific mind I found in the game of baseball. 
does some phenomenal work, is now in charge of the NBA Combine, does an incredible musculoskeletal assessment on athletes and with the data sets that he has can, I'll never say anyone can predict injury, but boy, he can show risk of injury probably better than anybody else. So definitely him with P3. Alex McKechnie, who's an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors, learned so much from him. This is a guy that cured Shaquille O'Neal's kind of back and oblique injuries when he was with the Lakers and went to the Raptors through reduction of injury, drove them to an NBA title a year or two ago. To hear more from Gary McCoy, make sure to scroll to episode 74 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Ben Serple. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, on that note, there might there probably would be some listeners that went through that this year. What what are some yeah. coping strategies that you found that helps with that uh, when you're going through a tough year? Some of mm. it may be out of your control as well in terms of your role, like your role, mm. you're doing everything you can, but the team's just not having success yeah. in the phase they're in at that, that stage. Yeah. How do you sort of handle it? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's where it's good to have something outside of the footy club, you know, just a friendship group or, or just a different hobby. And, and that's why I stick to or continue with a bit of my research just so I use that to disengage from work full stop. But also that's where it's good to have a mentor who can help you through that. Now, it's pretty hard to – it's not like you're going to get someone who you can trust and say, we well, need a mentor and they can give you all that. It's about networking and finding people who you can talk to bounce ideas off because one thing I do know is that just doing more is not the solution. Mm. So much out of your control, like, you know, teams getting a spate of injuries and not winning, being here is not going to make more and more and doing more training is not going to be the solution. Sometimes you just got to just step back and and have a look at it from fresh eyes. So, Yeah. No, well said, mate. It's a great advice. Mm. We'll, we'll move into yeah. your key topic, building yeah. physical and, and emotional resilience. Uh, what are some mm. key considerations building a resilience in AFL athletes? Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, you don't have one or the other. They're kind of intertwined in my view. I remember sitting down for my interview for Katz here and chatting to, to uh, Harry, Harry Taylor, and I was talking to him about you know what I think is important. And obviously, I think remaining injury-free is pretty important because the more you have training, well, the more availability you've got, the better position you're going to, to be in. But it, it kind of just blew my mind. And I said to him at the time, I said, you know, a good player and a good day playing footy might have 20 kicks in a game. We'll do more than 20 kicks in a warm-up. And the amount of kicking they do during the week is astronomical, right? Mm. Yet what we also know is that, say, for instance, a small forward might run 15K a game and the amount of training we do to develop running skill is minute in comparison. So for me, we've kind of got it all you know, around the wrong way. So how do we how do we make keep them out in the field? It's not by doing more kicking. It's potentially by teaching guys how to run. Like most people will come out of high school and who play football, come out of high school, get drafted. You know, if you're playing for North Melbourne or no disrespect, one of the other bottom rated teams, you're expected to play 20 plus games a year in your first year out of high school and, and not only play but perform. But You've just not developed physically. You've not learned key key physical attributes like learning how to run so well. So for me, building resilience is, is dealing with those big rocks first. And it's not just about doing a heap of running mechanics, drills and so on. It's about getting strong to run in the first instance and going through that athlete development. And you're not going to get it quickly. It's just something that happens over years. And what I was getting at earlier is they'd say, for instance, in, for instance, in rugby, like they might have a six-week pre-season, so you've got to look at opportunities throughout the year to continue that physical development. 
once you can get on top of that and, and develop those, and as I said, sort out those big rocks, the whole experience just gets more fun for everyone. But if you're one of these guys that come out of school, play footy, perennially injured, it's not fun, right? So that's one way we can help to build resilience by developing that physical capacity, that athletic capacity of our, uh, our players before they go out there. Now, I'm not just saying, I'm not saying that it's not important to get volume running in or get volume of high speed running in. I've also got to make sure that we're ticking the box in terms of, you know, basic movement patterns and so on. Yeah, it's so true. Like going up, you you go to PE classes and you play dodgeball and you know, have heaps of fun with your mates, but yet you still don't right. learn the, the skill how to run. No, and <laughs> unless you can of course. I guess that's the problem with uni courses these days as well. We're just turning out students and telling them to to look at GPS stats and. This is going to make or break you and you can interpret the game and prescribe training on GPS alone. But by doing that, we lose the human element of coaching mm-hmm. and there's just not enough. There's just not enough in, in development of, of younger, younger S&Cs or younger sports sports these days to actually understand the athletes, So, which is pretty important from my, from my perspective. And because once we do, we can tweak our coaching cues and, and adjust how we uh, or what we coach or how we coach it. Yeah, and it's sort of segue, but it's on the same topic. You mentioned mm. some influences for your career and another trend in the industry, like we're talking about the shift of, of lifting pre-training and is the France Bosch coordinative type-based movements. How, how did you first come to be exposed with France's work and yeah, how do you implement yeah. it into your, into your programming? Yeah, I mean, Dean Benson, I always work with Dean up at, at Brumbies after uh, after I was working at Port Adelaide and it was the first one to introduce me to France. At the end of my first year at, at Brumbies, I then went and stayed with France for a few days in the Netherlands and then just got some further physical develop, professional development, I think. Look, it's pretty easy, right? Like, it's just what you make a priority. So everyone's got their own coaching philosophy, right? So for me, I look at the three big rocks that France talks about, free hip dominance, stance, league extension, for plant from love. And I just look at drills which I can implement with that in warm-ups. And we can use that as a, as a fire up for a gym session, have little amounts of that every day of the week and continually work on that across the year. So going back to the original question, Dean was pretty instrumental in bringing friends into my network. And then as I took over the program at Brums, another one, another person which I met through Dean was Johnny Pryor. And Johnny Pryor and, and, and friends have done a lot of work together, more so. And then... Yeah, it just developed a lot off, off JP and kind of gets to that point where it becomes less about them telling me to learn, but becomes a bit more collaborative and, and we come up with ideas together over time. So, and that's how we got to the point of a little often as opposed to one big session. And, and we bring in those, those kind of drills in, in warm ups for both field, gym and so on. And how have you found the athletes have responded to it, particularly with things like the cultural shift of, progressing in season yeah have you found mm. your first year coming back into afl and bringing in these movies yeah look, I, I i feel as though they've enjoyed it shannon neil will often say that he hated it he hates me coming in so well there's exercise the challenging for him but they're good at the same time because they make him stronger yeah <laughs> trunk and so on so yeah boys boys like it and i think it's more about how you sell it and and show them this is actually going to make you a better footballer and, and translate it on field and, and they'll buy in straight away. So something a little bit different for them, but also I've been on the other side of it where I was at Brumbies for seven years and we did a lot of it and guys just got so over it, probably took it for granted in the end. Okay. So it's about cycling through and, and coming up with new ideas constantly to keep that that freshness about and, 
and just not letting go of your philosophy if you believe in it and, and you know you can get results, then stick at it. Maybe change the way you sell it over time. Oh, that's great learning out of maybe someone that's just started to bring it in. So mm. if you're in a program like that for seven years, was it lacking variation in terms of progression with movement competency or was it just the fact that yeah, the, 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 it, st- it stopped losing its effectiveness, do you think, that type of training? Oh, look, when you've been doing it for seven years, you definitely get diminishing returns as well. Um, yeah. So you need, to, you need to, again, look at what is going to be a successful shift. Right. Uh, and also, in myself, it got harder and harder to continually change the stimulus because the guys were getting so good at it. So mm-hmm. I kind of got, oh, I need to freshen up myself in terms of how I was going to deliver it and so on. So I just had to at some point make a call. Did I still want to keep doing that or, or move on because it was getting harder and harder? And sometimes, you know, you have to spend a lot, once you get to doing it for so long, to get that 1% requires a lot of energy and effort. And I probably didn't at the time personally. But there's other people out there who I've seen do it really successfully. And, and again, that's JP and, and Dean and, and France is always constantly working at that stuff. So credit to them. And, and, and that's why it's been great to keep my network up because often if I've got any questions, they're my first point of call to change that. And so I'll uh, continually work on it over time. And what about from a load management point of view? Are there some days where you don't program those movements due to whether it be cognitive load or, or physical load, like how do you take it into account with your, yeah. with your programming? Oh, I mean, some of those movements you can do at a lower level and make it more of a mobility type drill just to get the muscle sequencing. Sometimes you can make it really, really heavy and go that way. But again, if you've got my three big rocks and focus on them, I mean, I bring all the young lads in at the start of the year and, and explain to them this is what I'm looking for. And I constantly remind them through the year so they know what to do with a lot of these exercises. So... Yeah, I'll adjust which exercise I select based on time of time of week, time of year, but still philosophically sticking to the same big rocks as we go through. In terms of going back to building, developing resilience for the mental, sort of emotional, mental mm. side, uh, how, how would you go about developing emotional mm. mental resilience in, in AFL? Yeah. Yeah, well, going back to what I originally said, like in terms of developing those those basic moving patterns and, and trying to keep them as injury resistant as possible is pretty important. And look, don't don't get me wrong, once we start implementing any change like we did with that type of work, you can tend to predict where your injury threats are going to be, and that's typically around your hip flexors and, and calves. So it's about, it's about mitigating the injury risk there and so on. And yeah, again, if you can be on the field for as much as possible and and not in the injury room, that that helps with the resilience a lot as well. But you've kind of nailed it yourself in terms of if we want to get build resilience, we want to we want to build or adjust our hormonal profile in my mind. Mm-hmm. And again, I've done a bit of research in that space and, and build promote testosterone production through pre pre session, pre field, and sometimes you know if if we've got a session, sometimes we actually don't want them to be completely ready you want to build resilience by showing them that actually under stressful conditions you can still execute what you need to execute and we can cycle through that way but we can prime by doing some of those athletic movements as i was saying which is your free hip dominant stance the extension foot plant from above in some speed work and get the hormonal shift that way and also three um, the rugby codes would do some olympic lifts for instance and or some jumps or some sprints and so on so that that shifts our hormonal profile to get a, a boost in testosterone. And, and the testosterone we know is, is the hormone that assists a lot with resilience and, and, and enhancing athlete readiness. But it's not just the gym-based stuff that gets guys up. It's, there's an emotional element to that as well. So hormones 
tend to, or shifting hormones can tend to be contagious. So if I don't have a certain type of relationship with a guy and, and there's nothing wrong with that because I'm not going to get along with everyone, I don't have a similar personality that I work with, there might be an intermediary where I might say, well, actually, he's going to have a bigger impact than me. So I work with that intermediary, get him up, and it's likely to have a knock-on effect to someone else because there is that yeah, contagiousness right. effect. So something we talk about in this space is you know, targeting a few, but the many, because resilience is such or stress responsiveness is such a contagious thing. Yeah, it's yeah, I just yeah, I mean, it only takes one or two one or two bad eggs in a group to bring everyone down. We've all seen that happen before, but it can go the other way. One or two key influential recognized or unrecognized leaders who are up and about, if we can target them and they'll bring everyone else with them as well. So to manage that, like, you know, really try to, you know, in footy you hear about all the time, like energy. Yeah. You have rules in place for those sessions where you really want to prime them. You want them to be high energy. Mm. Like if someone yawns or maybe someone's in a shitty mood, do you, do you, <laughs> do you know, is there something you do to try yeah. and take that out or is it le- le- yeah, leaders? Look, yeah. Let, let me just say, majority of the work I've done in this space is, has been in rugby. I've, I've tried a little bit with James Kelly this year and a few warm-ups for some of the VFL guys who are having a few, few games out and had a similar effect. Like, we humans are primates, right? So we all respond to, to stimulus the same way from a physiological perspective, so to speak. So yeah, definitely lean on a few senior, more respected guys and, and that will, will work with, that will bring the rest of the group up. So understanding those few people is really important. And also you as a coach need to recognize that your energy affects everyone else. Hmm. So sometimes it's about being self-aware. If you need to take yourself away from the group, then, then do it. You know, have someone else take your session for you who's got more energy. Paddy Hogman was awesome with that. Always got the guys up. You know, I was, there's a couple of times this year I'd just say to him, look, mate, I'm off today. Can you look after this guy? Cause he's just going to sap me for energy. And I think you'll get more out of him and did a great job of getting the boys up for me. So some young lads. So yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that insight. It's like it leans into what you're saying before. It's stuff that you don't learn in, in university, the, the <laughs> coaching personal side but it has massive effect so yeah it's great great to share with going back to primer sessions it was interesting you mentioned on you know in rugby it's actually something you did on game day Um, Mm. that's 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 a major shift from going from training to now doing it on 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 game day Mm. obviously Mm. the price is pretty high what what would those sessions look like how far away were they from game time was it almost like they were part of the game day prep like the run sheet or was it all together my experience at Cats is very different to, to rugby where, for instance, you're on the road a lot more in rugby, so you've got a captive audience a bit. Look, the scientific literature tells us, you know, eight hours is probably an optimal amount of time prior to kickoff. It's probably an optimal time to, to do your primer, but also whilst that's optimal, practically it's not great, right? So yeah. ultimately we're trying to get a hormonal shift and neurological shift so that once they get to kick off, they're already elevated. So if you can't do it eight hours prior, then four hours prior might be okay or two hours prior. So, for instance, in rugby, we'd give the guys a pre-match meal so we could give them a primer just prior to the pre-match meal, which we'd set for four hours prior to kickoff, which is fine. In AFL, they might just rock up two hours before a game. So, if they want, they can potentially do something then. It's probably a long way to go before they'll do that fully in AFL, but I definitely think it's it's a room growth over time in terms of what you need to do it's all really athlete dependent right so i'm not going to go ask someone about big dogs to to go and, and give us a snatch of 100 kilos just prior to match when they're not used to it i don't want to fatigue them that way 
But if you can develop through training in the weeks beforehand some idea of what they can tolerate from a physical perspective, then you can get quite strategic with, with what you do pretty much. But going back to my original point, that's not going to work necessarily for everyone. Some people will prime from other methods, so some emotional methods. So we also know that what you can do is just give someone a watch highlights reel of themselves and make them feel good or go watch Rocky, Rocky Shree and get themselves up. Like how, how good does do other people feel when they watch those kind of inspirational Remember the Titans type movie? You, you want to go out and, and, and change the world. And, and that's, it sounds, sounds a bit unrealistic, but actually like the research shows us that we can get shifts in, in hormonal profile by doing, doing things like that, which has a performance effect. Yeah. And it, you mentioned like, yeah, eight hours is a sweet spot, but there's some flexibility around still getting some benefits from it. Like for footballers listening in, they're playing at you know, development age or maybe a parent of a, of a 14-year-old, like how would you sort of tra- transfer that to your lower levels? Is there any, you know, are there some things that definitely don't do in terms of load on the body or is it, you know, or are there yeah, what, what are some sort of, what's a guy yeah. to follow for a good primer with minimal equipment, yeah. I guess? You only need around about 10 to 15 minutes and you just want explosive movements and just low resistance. That's what I'd be looking for. The exceptions to the rule is I definitely think that like, for instance, in any warmer prior to just prior to being on field, whether it's football, rugby, whatever, you definitely need to throw a few sprints in just to make sure everything's firing. So going back to your original question, yeah, 10 to 15 minutes, explosive movements, good rest in between, light load, and then, yeah, as I said, four hours beforehand, but in the, in the 30 minutes prior to a game, you need some high-intensity efforts, just sprint efforts. And then from the emotional side, in terms of arousal levels, can you prime yourself mentally to, like, what about the day before? Is that mm. what's sort of the science on that? Is that individual, like, re- you know, like recovery might be? Yeah. 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 So that? it's interesting because, I mean, this is, this is all the work which I've done with Christian Cook over the last six years in terms of hormonal profiles. What we think is that the best thing we do is actually get a boost in, in hormone or testosterone as quick as possible post-match. Not only does it help in terms of recovery from a musculoskeletal perspective, but also in terms of building resilience that mitigates the stress hormone cortisol. So by the time you get to the middle of the week, you've got this kind of little low-level resilience so you can take a whack from your coach and learn and, and not end up being dug in a hole around, you know, perform poorly. You can actually learn from that and then back mm-hmm. into the week, typically start priming um, the day before a game. We tried that in rugby. And this is where I say that sometimes you just got to stop trying because if all you get is negative feedback, so for instance, and, and the feedback doesn't have to be negative from the coach, it could just be your game plan, it's not working, you work it out implicitly. Sometimes you just got to stop trying because you dig yourself into such a hole, you're so stressed um, that you just got to come back to enjoying it. And that gets back to my original point earlier around some of the challenges we have as S&Cs, like you keep doing more is not necessarily a solution because you know, constantly losing, getting a lot of injuries. You stress about that. So you do more work, too focused on one thing, you forget other stuff. And that's something else stresses you. So taking a step back and, and looking after yourself is pretty important. Prime as, you know, across the week, you know, start priming as soon as you finish the match, get some positive aspects out of it. You have some bad games. There's always going to be some positives out of it. Take a whack middle of the week and then start priming again back end of the week. And, and that seems to be the best possible response. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so in terms of that post game moment, to get a little bit of a prime, that's sort of rather than looking at the negatives because you're going to get some feedback the next day from the coaches, you, you'll more yeah. look towards the positives. So you're in a better state to be able to yeah. get that yeah. strong feedback that it's a gotcha. Yeah. A coach will always give you some feedback midweek, won't they? 
Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can cycle all that anyway. I mean, you can get creative across the year. So at what points do you, do you want them to be in a hole and still win top stuff? One thing that Geelong did well this year is that there was a period of time where, you know, we had some senior players out. We kept winning games and we won games, um, which were tough. But, you know, back into the year, we had a full healthy list. Credit to, again, to our medical fitness team for, for getting them like, post-buy. It was hard to get a spot on the team because we, we were humming. We, we'd done a lot of work together, getting guys together, and, and we had built that resilience because all of a sudden we got extra games into guys through a period where our senior players weren't playing and, and all of a sudden the depth has increased. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. What about from back back to the footballer side of things? What are some of your favourite ways for for those that really struggle to wind down post-game? What are some of your favourite ways to get that recovery to help them be able to sleep? That night and wind down from a yeah. game. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's another a number of nutritional strategies that are good. On I mean, cherry juice has been shown, so it has got like some natural melatonin and it's been great. And, uh, and other people have worked with, so for instance, at Brumby's, and this was driven by by David Pocock, actually. Just he made sure everyone had that headspace up and started meditating post match. It kind of comes down to also what your game time is. So, for instance, if you're playing it, Two or four in the afternoon, you should be able to go to sleep pretty well by nine or ten o'clock mm. and, and stay asleep. It's more if you've got that evening game and, and going to bed at, at midnight. Um, the key is also not necessarily sleeping in the next day just because it takes you a while to go to sleep, getting some regular wake times. If you sleep until 11 o'clock the next day and you're not used to sleeping that late, but you slept in because you haven't gone to sleep till midnight, two in the morning, well, then you're not going to go to bed at a reasonable time on the Sunday night if you're playing Saturday, which means you're going to be tired Monday as well. So you're better off being tired Sunday and going to bed at a regular time Sunday night for your Monday training. Try and get back to that routine as soon as possible. Yep. 100%. 100%. So, yep. And then um, back onto the meditation point, like observing that, was that an optional meditation? Was that part of a compulsory session that all players yeah. must do? How long did it take? Yeah. Everything. Doing it? Yeah. Everything I say has always been optional. So your pre-match primer is optional, whether it's a physical primer or an emotional primer, always optional. The meditation is always optional. Again, work out what works best for your play because ultimately there's, a, again, it's a contagiousness effect, right? And guys just end up coming together. Like we had primers in the gym at, at Brumby's Rugby. I'd have guys come in, not lifts, but they just wanted to get around the rest of the boys and the energy was there. So they knew if they were just present amongst the rest of their teammates, they got um, the energy was there. And, and that happened organically in the end. It was just more, here's your times, lads, come and do it and run it yourself, which is where you want to get your guys to become independent. And that's probably something AFL can sometimes struggle with because going back to our physical resilience and, and development over time, your other football coach have academies where guys might necessarily play a senior game for two years outside of school, whereas in AFL, again, top 10 draft picks are going to be expected to, to play every game next year and not just play, perform. And they're just kids still. That's the problem. So, I mean, that in itself, managing that, those kids' emotions can be quite challenging. Yeah, on that note, like when when developing young athletes that have never done mindfulness before, never done a primer before, is it what, what are some effective strategies that SNCs can use to to help with buy-in, to help them, I guess, you know, at first, before they make that, that mature choice of whether it's good or not for them? Like what, what sort of sample size do they or what age does the athlete need to be to be able to have that, you know? Strong decision oh, that is better yeah. than them. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, guys will finish school and come into a club and their parents still have a big influence on, on them mm-hmm. um, and, and they're expected to be to shift very quickly from 
being a, a school kid to, to being an adult. So it's hard to know what age or, or whatever. The best thing you can do is just help them through their journey. Now, some people have to fast track that because they are required to play quickly. Some people, you have time to allow them to make mistakes. So again, it's a horses for courses type scenario. And and I'm not I'm not sitting here saying, oh, we just implement all this stuff in rugby and it the great results straight away. We had to convince guys that was how it worked or, or to do that in the first instance. So if you've got time to do that and, and take them on this journey of, of the athletes learning themselves and then run with it, if you don't have that time and you need results pretty quickly, it's, it's a matter of almost a bit, it's like school again, do this, it's going to make this difference for you and, and guys have to do it. The idea would be to find a happy meeting in between. And I think that potentially when, you know, as a 17, 16-year-old kid, all you want to do is play footy and, and make money from it and you think that's going to be awesome, you probably don't have people saying, you know, meditation is going to be really helpful for you. You don't have people saying it. Even from a gym perspective, people just often just say, oh, you've got to go to the gym and, and go to the gym and do what? Mm. So just patience and understanding. There's still kids, but they make mistakes and, and try and just educate them as best possible because you're only with them for a short amount of time. You need them to make good decisions away from you as well. And if sometimes that decision is to give you a call to ask you a question, well, then you've got to support them in that. Yeah, 100%. Moving into a bit of more of the personal side, mate, in your work yeah. life, do you have pet peeves, anything that annoys you? What annoys me? Oh, there's plenty of stuff that annoys me. Oh, sometimes this guy just taking the piss in the gym. It's, you know, it depends where I'm at as well. Like if I'm tired, yeah. I, uh, it's just like, come on, lads, just get on. Let's get out of here. I'll go home soon. So <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Just depends what day you've got me on, you know. If I haven't got my coffee in the morning, don't come in, so... Yeah, I'm not saying one coffee, but I'm my three or four before the guys get in. I'm stri- there in strife, so. <laughs> get in, get the work done and, and get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just if, if I'm focused on something else, just don't come and ask me other questions. Like we're all, we've all got our little quirks and, and things we're interested in and it depends on, on when you get me. Yeah, I just think that, yeah, if you, sometimes if you're not going to put in, then, then don't waste everyone else's time. Um, but I'm here to help, so. And what about, what's your favourite way? You mentioned life balance. What's your favourite way to spend a day off when you get one? Yeah, right. Love spending time with a little boy. Always training myself. So that's a way for me to, to just stay grounded. You know, I spent 90 minutes on a walk bike this morning and in that just watching a movie and I just got lost in that and come back and right, I switched on. I know what I've got to do now. And that makes me more efficient at writing programs and, and so on rather than just anything else. I love a sauna. People know me, I love a sauna. Again, thanks to Dean for getting me onto that and, and little things like that. Just, uh, just my own time. Mm. I, I love that training, spending time with family. And what you know, it's been a massive year. Obviously, your first year at the cat yeah. and winning a premiership doesn't much doesn't get much better than that. But what what else mm. is on the horizon for you for the rest of 2022, mate? What are you excited about? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually excited to spend another year with the guys. To be fair, I think everyone just thinks oh, I just got to get here and do this and, and tweak this and it'll make a big difference. But I actually reckon these guys. We can still continue to evolve the program. We've got some really good young kids coming in, looking forward to and excited to work with them, just progressing them and, and just getting to know their guys a lot more. I mean, if, if ever I lose interest in that, that's probably one of the learnings from other areas of my career. If, if I lose interest in that and I, I don't want to do that, well, then that's probably time for me to move on and, and, and so on. But I definitely don't feel as though I'm ready to move on yet and just enjoying it, to be fair. Again, if... It's the closest thing I'll get to kicking a footy with guys and fields. So just ride the wave for a bit longer, to be fair. Yeah, well done. Yeah, well, congratulations on it, on a fantastic year, super successful one. And, and thanks so much for 
sharing with us your, your journey so far. I'm a big, big believer success leaves clues and you've had plenty of that. So thanks for sharing with us a good insight into your thinking and, and also your, your work in the research as well with your PhD. Is there anything from a developed resilience point of view that we didn't touch on that you'd like to share? Um, and also for those that want to maybe follow up and, and send a question, you're on social media. What's your, your take on, on that? And, uh, yeah. Get in contact. <laughs> uh, look, all my research is in, yeah, it's on LinkedIn. Always put something up there. Resilience is a number of different things. It's, again, as I said, physical resilience and there's also that emotional resilience. And then we can't look at the two mutually exclusively. They're all tied together. Um, look, everything, football, everything we, we look at, developing athletes is complex, right? So there's never going to be one silver bullet. Just understanding where you're at, where your athletes are, understanding self is pretty important and how you can influence that development process and, and moving on around through that is key. So, and, and different times, we're going to have to focus on physical resilience, different times, emotional resilience. So again, be prepared to, to learn the intricacies and, and get to know your athletes. Yeah. Awesome. Mate. Well said. And, and thanks again. And thank you for everyone that's, that's tuned into this live chat. If you tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start. Ben's dropped gems all the way through. So you can watch the recording on YouTube. And then in two weeks time on Wednesday, we'll release the on all podcast platforms. So stay tuned. Our next live chat is with Connor Daly. He's the strength and power coach of the Eston Football Club. That'll be on Tuesday, the 18th at 1pm. I'll see you guys then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um... It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, like game game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering, what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that 
um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to, be, to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, it might be whatever, as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single minded back then. And, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things. And, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.